Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Dummy launcher is probably involved with close to half of the training sessions that I do. And I've seen a lot of stuff lately on social media. I know people are using them and I thought, you know, this would be a fun thing to talk about. I've used them a lot over the last 12 years, 13 years. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of rounds being shot through them. And there's quite a few little tricks that I've come up with. And I thought, you know, this would be something that would be helpful to people. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. Last fall, I made the change to a Final Rise Summit System vest and was blown away with not only the customization and durability, but the overall functionality. I can honestly say my setup directly impacted how many miles I cover because the design eliminates shoulder fatigue and discomfort while still providing the perfect amount of storage. I appreciate the waist belt design so much that in the training season, I removed the straps and swapped the game bag out for the sidekick system game bag, and I now have the perfect training belt set up for the long and hot training season. Go to finalrise.com and check out all the available options that are all sourced and sewn right here in the USA. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY podcast presented by Standing Stone Supply. Returning this week is Jordan Horak from Cato Outdoors. Jordan, how you doing, bud? Hey, I'm doing well, Nick. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's probably been close to a year since we've had you back on. I think we had a, an episode talking puppies last year, which got a huge response. People still love that episode. But uh, oh, good. Do you, I, I, I should have looked before we jumped on here. I can't recall when that was. Yeah, I don't. My Springer is almost a year old. I think she's 11 months. So it's probably eight months ago we did that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Cause I think, uh, Quinn, I just gotten her. So that sounds about right. About eight months. And, okay. uh, okay. So real quick, ca- kind of catch me up. How's the Springer doing? Is, is she on track and, and everything you hoped it'd be? Yeah. So yeah, she is. She's, uh, by far the nicest Springer I've had and everything is going well. We had a little, uh, so we had a lot happening from a business standpoint. We actually relocated back in April and 
like I, I could never recommend anybody to relocate a house with four kids and I don't even know how many dogs and way too many hobbies plus a business on top of that. But we did all that in one month. And that was a, it was a tough time to keep all the balls in the air, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so my daughter was doing a lot of work with the Springer. Uh, her name is Shaney for me. And when we got to the new place and I started going out with her more with the, with the dog and my daughter, I could tell this dog was, uh, she was a little bit much for my daughter. So I kind of pulled her back and did a little bit of a reset with her and yeah, she's a man. She is a pounder. I posted a couple of videos of her like launching for balls out of the air, doing some dummy launcher work and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, she's not a year old yet, but she's she's crazy talented. I really really like her. Yeah. So that's what so. that was going to be my next question. When life gets that busy and hectic, because I think that's something that we can all relate to. It's at some point to where we have this dog. It's got to get trained. Life gets in the way, though. How do you kind of come above that? And it sounds like your your daughter came through. And I used you out. I used my daughter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so if you don't if you don't have a kid like that, you're on your own. But for me, that's my default. Yeah. So I mean, when you when you decided to hit uh, rewind or, or you know start all the way yeah. over and recycle, uh, what was that process like? Did you just go all the way back to square one, or did you just go back onto whatever she was working on in that instance? Yeah, she'd already, so the dog knew how to do quite a few things at that point, but she, uh, you'll see this with some, like there's some dogs that are super compliant and yeah. it doesn't matter if it's like a five-year-old kid that's working with them. My daughter is, uh, I think she's 13. She is 13, but, but, uh, it doesn't matter if it's a little kid or an elderly person or somebody who's like really in the prime of their life, like the dog responds the same way. And then there's other dogs that are a little bit of a handful. And this one is definitely a little bit of a handful and not really a, a dog that would be super well suited to kids. So a lot of it was just relationship stuff. Like she would really just try to jerk my daughter's chain, like oh. bringing the ball in, but dancing around and acting like she couldn't hear. Her and just, it was just like little crap like that. So I really just, I didn't have to teach the dog a lot of stuff to get her up to speed. It was more just, Let's slow everything down. You know, I actually, you know how for like an eight-week-old puppy, you might sit your butt on the ground and have them come back and jump in your lap with a tennis ball? Yeah. Something like that. I, I did stuff like that with her. So I got way down on her level, had her come in, you know, didn't accept the retrieve or the delivery until she was really kind of like almost pushing into me and snuggling into me a little bit. And then I would take it. And if she screwed around, like I wouldn't accept that, maybe a little bit of a verbal correction and, uh, you know, we can't continue the game until you do it my way. It, it honestly took only a few days for her to be like, oh, okay, you know, I see the rules have changed a little bit. And, um, and you know, since then we've really been able to do more age appropriate drills with her. It was yeah. just uh, taking a little bit of a step back to make sure she was like on the same page with me. How would you begin to kind of advise maybe a beginner or somebody that hasn't had their hands on a lot of dogs to where they try to troubleshoot and figure out why is why is that dog maybe not coming and handing off very well or or minding you very well is it a, a is it a lack of respect to you or is it an avoidance issue or does it really not matter it it kind of ends up in the same place either way no it definitely does it definitely does matter um, this this is like it's not the secret sauce but it kind of it's the secret sauce like if, if only there was a shortcut for me to be like, yeah, like 
Hey, uh, you've only had two dogs, but here's how you can read dogs as well. Somebody who's owned a hundred dogs. Like, right. That'd be awesome. Um, and, and it is weird. Like some dogs, I, I've had dogs where you would think that dog is so soft and just really just needs like slow and encouragement and just build up, build up, build up. Right. And come to find out later on, like the dog wasn't actually soft. The dog was just extremely manipulative right. for, for lack of a better way to express that. I don't know that dogs actually manipulate, but, but I had misread that dog and it wasn't so much that it was soft. It was just taking advantage of acting like it was soft. Right. And I mean, even dogs that might piddle a little bit, things like that, like really displaying soft characteristics. Um, they're, they're not always soft. Sometimes they're just playing you. And then on the flip side, I've had dogs where you'd be like, wow, there's nothing that's going to phase that dog. Like that thing is tough as nails and there's not a soft bone in its body. And I, th I think a lot of times you'll see a really high powered dog and you automatically assume that a really high powered dog is, is a hard dog or a tough dog. And that's not necessarily the case at all. So uh, even this Springer that I have right now, it's interesting. Like she isn't, she's not soft per se, but at the same time, like she doesn't like it when I tell her no, um, she responds, <laughs> she responds really, really well. Like just a little, ah, ah, ah. like, okay, okay. That's, that's all she needs. And like, yeah. and then typically she won't go back and do that behavior again. But if you just watched her run, uh, same with my dog Grizz, uh, this guy up here on the wall, mm. he's, he is a pounder. He runs so hard and you would think, man, that dog is tough as nails and like could take any sort of pressure and like no problem. Right. But he's actually, it's actually kind of a soft dog too. So there's, you know, I guess the answer to the original question, like, how do you know, you, you don't necessarily know, even like, I don't know, and you don't know all the time, right? but I think the best trainers are adaptable. So we try something and if that doesn't work, like we're not gonna, we're not gonna just keep doing that thing mm -hmm. and hoping that someday it's gonna work. Like if if it's a process, if we've read the dog right and we're and we're using a process that's gonna work for that dog, typically we're gonna see results fairly quickly. Right? Yeah. So we don't need to keep doing the same thing for a week and have the dog just continue to like not respond to it. Like typically the dog's gonna respond more quickly. So I I mean I know we've talked about this in other episodes, but. Like as a dog trainer, we should adapt to the dog that's in front of us. So yep. read the dog. Is it responding? How is it responding? Is it what we want? Is it not what we want? And then, you know, I, I spend a lot of time like not with dogs, but thinking about dogs and like, okay, what can I do next? And what maybe could I do that be uh, a little bit creative to help this dog with this issue, whatever that might be. Yeah. So it's, it's not just so much the time that we're spending with the dog, which certainly is that, but it's also like the strategizing outside of those training sessions. Yeah. Cause they're constantly reading us too. You know, we need to be constantly mm -hmm. reading them cause they're constantly reading us. And just because you think you have a dog figured out doesn't mean that they're going to start when you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Right. And so like, here recently, my, my short hair, she's, you know, 10 years old right now. And I'm just doing some drills in the backyard or whatever. And uh, she started popping on some drills. I was just doing some duck search drills with some bumpers. I've talked about it on the podcast a, a few times. But okay. essentially what she was doing is she would just go out and she would do a handful of them. And then after that, she's just like... I don't want to do it. And, and I got caught up in that. We talk about like, well, let's backtrack, you know, always look to yourself first. What are we missing here? Like she's really acting confused, even though I know she shouldn't be. 
And after a few times of really trying to dumb it down and she's still doing that behavior, I'm like, all right, she's just trying to play me right now. And I, and I had to uh, go back to, no, nope, you've been forced to, to pile. Like we're going to, we're going to figure this out. And you, you made her do it. And it was a, kind of a gut check moment to where it just reminded her. It's been a while since I've had to force her through something that I knew that she, she was capable of. And she was just kind of balking and flipping me the bird, so to speak. And, uh, it was really interesting though, that it popped up after so many years to where it's just like, we've never really had this issue. And then it popped up and it was just like, no, you're, you're going to do it. I know, I know you're doing this. We did the checklist, didn't have to make it any easier or dumb it down, so to speak. And she went back to normal, you know, after a, a come to Jesus meeting, so to speak. Yeah. And the, I mean, sometimes that can be gender specific, like the older females in particular, I, I would say that I train them less and less as they get older, the females in particular, because they, they don't respond as well to it. Like when I say, when they're not like for my training, like I want the dog to enjoy what we're doing, right? Like if I'm having to force it, if I'm butting heads with it, like I did something wrong along the way. And, uh, like as they get, like right now I have this female, uh, Gandhi, she's, I gotta do the math quick. I think she's seven years old. She's six or seven. And phenomenal hunting dog. I mean, like, out of all the dogs that I have right now, like, that's the one that I would want to hunt with the most, right? Like, that's going to be the most productive hunt hunting with her. She's also the worst at doing drills. <laughs> you can tell she comes out and she's just like, look, we've, we've already done this. Yep. Like, like I, I know how to do everything pretty much. And, like, this isn't fun for me, right? Like, I'd rather just snoop around and, like, whatever. Yeah. So, for that dog, like... Um, you know, if I only had her, it might be a little bit different, but for her, it's like, you know what, girl, like, <laughs> I know you can do it too. Like, wh- what's the point, right? Yeah. So let's go have some fun and like, you can screw around and go sniff, you know, the piles of grass or whatever. And, uh, I'm not going to really care, but, but for a younger dog, for sure, like they don't have the skills. So like, yeah, you got to work with me. You can't just like, yeah, you can't okay. just choose to not work because you don't know anything yet. Right. Right. Um, I, I would say. You know, if somebody has a dog, like let's say uh, just the average listener out there had my Springer named Shaney, and they're trying to figure out like, man, how do I get control of this dog? She really seems to be jerking my chain and like not responding really well. Typically making everything smaller. uh, I I like to say like a sterile environment. So like give her less opportunities to do the wrong thing. So if I'm struggling with recall with a dog like that, I'm not going to go out in an open field with a bunch of distractions and work on recall there. That's, that's silly, right? Like, yeah. Like for instance, when we, when we moved out to this new place, there were killdeer everywhere and that, you know, they're noisy because they're, they're trying to make nests and they're trying to lure dogs away from their nests. So you can hear the, the, you know, killdeer all over the place. And this Springer will like lose her mind, <laughs> like chasing these stupid birds, right? Well, if I'm working on recall, let's not go where there's a bunch of killdeer flying around and, and making their, their noise because she's not, that's not a good environment to teach that, right? Way better to go into a backyard where there's a chain link fence and everything's controlled. There's nothing really to distract her and like, let's work on it there. Um, and then also like cato boards, which, uh, I mean, that, it's a great tool, a platform because we can take a cato board anywhere. We can put it down. So this is what I did with Shaney at the new place. Rather than just taking her out and telling her, don't chase the kill deer, I go out with a cato board or a couple of cato boards, put those down, then bring her out and I can redirect her to a platform instead of just letting her chase a kill deer. 
I'm probably not going to go out there and throw retrieves for with killdeer flying around or whatever bird, whatever distraction just happens to be killdeer in this instance. But I'm not going to go out there and throw retrieves for because she's probably going to make a choice that I would rather chase that bird than pick up that that dummy, right? So we're yeah. not, I'm not going to do that. But I am the the potato board is a little bit more. Um, well, it's smaller. It's close into me. I'm not sending her out to it and hoping she makes the right choice. I'm bringing her in, putting her on the platform, having her go to another one, back to the original one, maybe a short, like five foot retrieve. But really what I'm trying to do is just get engagement and get her working with me, playing with me. And then at the end, we're going to go back in the crate and we're going to go back in the run instead of just saying, okay, free, go chase the kill deer. Like, nope. When we come out here, you focus on me. We play together. We do these things together. And then when we're done, you go back, you know, into your confined area. I go back into my confined area, the house or whatever. Yeah. So uh, doing games like that really uh, takes away the choice from the dog. So the dog doesn't get to decide, do I want to go chase a bird or do I want to go chase that kid on his bike or, you know, chase the squirrel or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're kind of taking that choice away from the dog and making it so that the only choice they have is to play the game with us. And they might resist that for a little bit but it's amazing like we're given enough repetitions of that like like right now we'll go out and killdeer will fly off and she'll look at them and then she looks right back at me so, yeah but it took it took a month to get there and sometimes it, it takes that and i mean just the prevention of it you know that if we go out in that situation then you know this will present itself i don't want that and so you're just constantly requiring that engagement from the dog and that's why redirects work so well you know if somebody redirects that's something i've touched on previously with grace and guy or long ago on a on an episode that's something that i need to okay. need to recycle and touch on again because it's amazing how sometimes you you can be sitting there trying to recall a dog and maybe they they don't even care you know they're just blowing it off but, yeah. you, but you give them a yeah. place or just some other kind of command you redirect their attention and then all of a sudden you have it again uh it it takes you know an example like that for a lot of people to kind of catch on that sometimes, Hey, don't, don't just keep repeating the same command or setting them up for failure, you know, come up with a fun drill that keeps them occupied and focused on you and the task at hand. Yeah. And keeping it small. It's so important because if we're trying, if they're 40 yards away and we're trying to regain control, that's exponentially more difficult than if they're four yards away. Like it's not 10 times harder. It's like a hundred times harder. Exactly. You know, that distance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, yeah, I guess, you know, a lot of times with dog training, it's like, yeah, it's if you just understand people, you can understand how to train dogs. And that's that's really, really true. But I guess it would kind of um, not be true in this case, because like as a as a human, I can say like, um, hey, Nick, um, don't don't do that, whatever that thing is. Right. And you can be like, OK, Jordan doesn't want me to do that. Um I'll go find something else to do. Right. But with a dog, if we say, don't do that, dogs don't think that complex where they can say like, Oh, he doesn't want me to do that. I'll go, I'll go find something else to do. Right. Yeah. They, they don't like, they're really fixed on that, that thing that they're doing. So when we redirect and say, Hey, don't do that, but do this instead, that's a lot easier concept for a dog. You know, they're not creative enough to come up with their own thing necessarily. That yeah. might be. 
But for the most part, if we can give them an alternative, it makes it a lot easier for them to make that decision. Yeah. And, and an example that someone listening to this is probably all too familiar with is somebody ringing, ringing the doorbell or knocking on the door. Dogs go crazy barking. You can sit there just, yeah. no, 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 stop, stop, stop. And the dog just keeps on going. But it's amazing if the dog's place trained go put them on the place or kennel or something like yeah, that. Right. And it's amazing how quickly that gets cleaned up. But uh, yep, we, right. we could talk about stuff like this all day long. You and I both know that we can go on some, yeah. some tangents, but we, we came here today to talk about dummy launchers and I guess the, the importance and the uses and, and probably ill-advised uh, uses of them as, as well. What, you know, you reached out to me, you shot me a text like, hey, I want to talk dummy launchers. I'm like, all right, cool. That sounds fun. Let's do it. What What yeah. is going on in your training regiment right now that has the dummy launcher up front for you? Uh, I mean, I, so the dummy, the dummy launcher is a tool that I use a pr- probably more than, it's probably the most indispensable training tool that I have. Aside from platforms or cato boards, so cato boards I start with when they're eight weeks old. I'm not doing that with the dummy launcher. But by the time a dog is like seven or eight months old, the dummy launcher is probably involved with close to half of the training sessions that I do. And I've seen a lot of stuff lately on social media. I know people are using them, and I thought, you know, uh, this would be a fun thing to talk about. I, I've used them a lot over the last uh, probably 12 years, 13 years. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of rounds being shot through them. Mm. And there's quite a few little tricks that I've come up with. And uh, I thought, you know, this would be something that would be helpful to people. And uh, it'd be a little bit unique. So a lot of podcasts have done in the past more talk about training theory. And this one is going to be really objective, talking about one hard physical object and how it can be used. And I I, you know, I thought that might be fun. I, I am kind of planning on you being a little bit like my therapist because <laughs> this, this not, yeah, it's not like you're replacing one. You would be my only therapist just to be clear. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. When I tried to like strategize in my head a little bit for this podcast, like my thoughts were all over the place. So I'm hoping yeah. you can kind of just pull, pull some of this stuff out as we go along. Too but, easy, man. That, that's what I'm here for. I don't know if that qualifies me as a therapist or not, but I'm good at asking a bunch of questions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. So I think I think this will be fun, and I I am sure that people will walk away with at least one thing that they can try with a dummy launcher, and some people may walk away with a bunch of things. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, let let's start off with the obvious. Let's for those that aren't familiar with dummy launchers, because there's a few differences in, in styles, right? Like there's a few options yeah, out yeah. there on the market. Let's start off with the overall like design and the options that if somebody was to go Google dummy launchers, what could they expect to find? Okay. So there's two different types really. There's the handheld dummy launcher, which is what I want to talk about today. And then there's remote launchers as well, uh, like Thunder Launcher makes makes a remote one. I actually have a couple of those as well. I just don't use them that much. Um, so, to, so yeah, there's the the handheld, and then there's the remote. Within the handheld dummy launchers, I know some of you were recording this video as well, and some people may see the video. Uh, so I I do have an example here with me that I'll hold up, but I'm also going to try to describe it verbally. But there's there's really two types of handheld launchers. There's the plunger style. So you hold that in one hand and then you pull back the plunger and you let go and that strikes the the cap or the blank and that then you know, it launches the dummy. 
I like to use, I'm going to hold this one up. It's the Lucky Launcher, Lucky Launcher 2, I guess. This one has uh, more of a butt on it that I guess technically you're supposed to be able to put it on your shoulder like this and shoot it like a gun. I I don't hold it. I don't do that one. Maybe I'm weak, but like sometimes with the really hot blanks, it kind of hurts my shoulder and I don't have the, the rubber piece here anymore. So I usually just hold it in one. I hold the butt in one hand and then I hold the pistol grip in the other hand. And I, and I shoot it that way. Um, I, I like this one because I feel like I have really good control over where I'm aiming it. And as we'll talk about later, like shot placement with, with the launcher can be really important for certain things. Um, so, yeah, so this is the one I like, the Lucky Launcher. If you got a plunger style one, that's going to work too. If you got remote launchers, uh, somebody else can do another podcast about those someday. Yeah. Um, so... There And then when we start talking, as long as we're talk, talking about the hardware, there's two main types of dummies that I use. There's going to be the canvas type like this. There's nothing on it. There's no tail. There's no head or anything like that. And then there's these that are more of like uh, torpedo style. I think they're made out of PVC of some sort. This one, the PVC one is going to go a long ways. Like sometimes it goes a long, long ways if you get into a hot blank. Like the other day I launched one and I paced it off and I think it went 120 yards yeah. from where I was standing. And I was already like 10 yards out in front of the dog. So it turned into like a, a little BB in the air, you know, 130 yards away. Actually failed that retreat uh, or at least had to be handled to it. The, the canvas ones don't go nearly as far because there's a lot more wind drag on these and they're not as, as heavy. So most of my training is with the canvas dummy. Now within the canvas dummy, there's different sizes. So I think this is probably an eight inch one, maybe seven inches. I'm just kind of eyeing it up here. There's there's others that are like 10 inches long. The longer ones, all they do is just, they just don't go as far. They'll actually go quite a bit less far. So I, I typically don't use those unless I'm working on something really specific. So those are the two types, probably a, about a seven inch canvas one. And then the PVC one. The canvas ones, I wear these out. Like you can see, this one's already starting to separate inside. Um, so they don't last forever, but they're relatively cheap. I think they're like 20 bucks. Yeah. There are other types of dummies out there. Like I have this one. I don't even know where it came from. I'm pretty sure I did not buy it. It's a dummy that has wings sewn on it, and it also has a, a head on it. Looks like RRT Launchers makes it. Um, I, I never use this because the wing and head, the wings and the head really don't do anything for me. And all they do is serve to like slow this thing down big time in the air. So it's, it's probably going to go only half the distance of a comparable regular canvas dummy. So if it were me, I would not pay the extra for the wings and for the head. I also have this one right here. Also don't know where this one came from. Um, it looks like it, it looks like a duck but it's made out of more hard rubber, kind of like a, like a docking dummy almost. I was about to say, it looks like harder. it's just a little docking version of it. Yeah, it's not docking though, because it's a little bit heavier than a docking would be, but it's similar. Um, I also, it looks like there's a hole through the middle of it, so maybe there's wings in there at some point. I never use this as well, because it doesn't go very far, and it doesn't it doesn't do anything for me. So really just the, the PVC torpedo style, and then the canvas dummy are the, the two that I use. And as my plan is, as we go through this podcast, I'll talk more about how I use those two different dummy types. But well, you know, I, that's I was, really it. 
I was about to say, yep. just for clarification, while while we're on it, it does. Is there any concern on the canvas version, like we would talk about a normal hand thrown canvas dump, uh, bumper, in terms of getting it wet, throwing it in the water? You know, they talk about mold or anything getting in that canvas bumper because it's not pu- fully waterproof. I don't know how much you ascribe I, to that thought process. I've never had that happen. Like I would imagine if you get it wet and then you throw it in a drawer somewhere and leave it. Yeah. That could happen. I I my, my stuff rarely gets put in drawers. Yeah. About where I ended training. Not really close. Uh, I, I you know, I think as long as we leave them out, I, I've never had like a mold issue or anything like that. I will say when these things start to get wet, they don't go nearly as far. So I'm I'm usually not shooting these like intentionally out into a body of water. Like you're you're probably gonna get one good launch. And then after that, they're gonna go like a third of the distance yeah. if you're sending it into the water. So I don't know why that is. I mean I I have theories, I don't know exactly why, but they they do perform better if you keep them dry. Yeah. And then you're, you keep talking about distance, launching distance, and then you talk about yep. blanks and maybe getting a hot blank. Can you describe to us the different types of blanks and what each kind of rating means or coloration means? You know, what do you use on, yeah. on what type of launcher? So I all there's I think the three main colors would be yellow, I'm sorry, green yellow and then red and i think there's a brown one as well and there might be one more color but those are the three main ones i only use the yellow one to be honest the okay. green ones i find like don't don't really have enough power at all and then the red ones are gonna especially with the canvas dummy they're gonna rip the dummy apart too quickly so and i don't think that there's a lot of pressure in those red ones i i'm not sure how safe it is to use them if they're probably fine, I don't know. But like, I, I feel more comfortable using the yellow ones and I can create the distance I want using yellow. Uh, that, you can, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's exactly what my question was. Like you, if you only focus on one, then you kind of know that this is the distance I'm working at. You, the placement, which we're going to get to here in a little while, it's easier yep. to judge because you're not constantly switching back from green, yellow, red, and then you're not putting yeah. a red in when you think a green is in and, and vice versa and all that stuff. So most of the people that I know that uses these kind of go with your frame of mind to where they just pick one color and stick with it. Yeah. And, and even with it, like, so I, uh, being a cheap quad, I just buy my blanks from the hardware store. Uh, <laughs> so you can yeah. get 22 blanks for like a nail gun. I'm sure that Lucky Launcher doesn't recommend that. And I'm not like, you make your own choices out there. I'm not endorsing anything, but there's a, I think there's some quality issues because you'll have some that are just like complete pansies and they'll send the dummy 30 yards. And then the, then the next one sends it 80 yards. Uh, so there can be a lot of variance. Frankly, I don't really care because I don't really like patterns when I'm, teaching when, when we're working on marking drills so if it's always going 70 yards that's not really super helpful to me because the dog is going to start going 70 yards and then looking so it doesn't really matter to me if it's if there's variables to that if it's anywhere from 30 to 100 yards it's like that's fine um the dog should have to figure out any of those right right and yeah so yeah i just stick with yellow yeah that's all i have i got gotcha. you 
So you're you're kind of leaning in towards the different uses for canvas versus the little PVC footballs, almost the torpedoes, as you called it. Uh, Describe which different scenarios are you using those for? So if if you don't mind me, like like maybe we can like start at the beginning, like how we introduce it, and yeah, that's a better way to do it anyway. That'll be a little more linear for me, and and really like. For the listener out there, the last thing I want a listener to do is like go on Soggy Dog or Gun Dog Supply or uh, Standing Stone and buy a, a dummy launcher and go out there and just start blasting away. Yeah. So let's talk about how we introduce it and then build up more complex retrieves. Absolutely. So I don't want to go out there with a young puppy and just launch and just start launching these things. They are extremely loud like you will you do want hearing protection in like just trust me and if if you do shoot these things without hearing protection like you're an idiot and don't plan on <laughs> listening to your grandkids ever because you are going to go deaf like they're extremely loud so if they're that loud for me like they're going to be that loud for a puppy as well so i i have no use like taking a three or four or even a five month old puppy out and just launching these things sure the majority of them are going to be fine some of them are not, and the ones that aren't fine, you may cause irreparable like gunshot damage, right? Yep. So I, I don't get in a hurry, but let's say that puppy is now six or seven months old. They're real confident. They're retrieving well. Um, you know, you feel that if, if you want them to be line steady and wait to be sent for a retrieve, you, you've accomplished that. They're sitting there. They're steady. So, okay, we're ready for the dummy launch now. What I'm going to do, what I don't want to do is go out, take that dummy, Put that yellow blank in, aim my my dummy launcher up at a 45 degree and just send it, right? Because there's going to be a loud bang. The dummy leaves there at a really high rate of speed. I mean, it, I'm not sure what the muzzle velocity is, but it's fast. And then obviously it slows down really quickly as well because it doesn't have very good aerodynamics. Uh, but if the dog is looking at me and I launch that, the dog may not even see the dummy leave the muzzle because it's leaving so quickly, right? And so now all they have is a loud bang and they don't see the retrieve or anything like that. So I want to avoid that at all costs. So what I'll do, I'll go to a mode field where it's like really easy to see, maybe even a dirt field. I don't really, I'm not looking for any complexity here. I'm just looking for success. So I put the dog or the puppy on a Kato board and I'm gonna walk in front of it like 20 yards, like quite a ways out to the front. And I'm gonna, I'm going to launch the dummy really low, like three feet off of the ground. And I'm going to launch it straight away from where the puppy is. So even if that puppy gets a little bit startled because of the noise and wants to look at me, when it look, looks at me, it's still going to see the dummy going away from me, right? So what I, I don't want to shoot away from the puppy so that it gets startled, looks at me, and never even sees the dummy. So if in that, if in that puppy's sight picture it sees me, and it sees the dummy, I know it's going to see the dummy. So we launch it really low. It looks, it's almost like a rabbit, you know, it hits the ground and it's bouncing and it looks exciting. The puppy might break, even if it's been line steady. I'm normally going to let it break that first time or two because it was a big, exciting thing. Yeah. And I don't want any, I don't want there to be any negatives associated with this. Right. So if it breaks, fine, go get the dummy, bring it back. Good boy. It comes back, I get the dummy, put it back on the keto board, do the same thing. And that, that might be a session right there. But if, if the dog was steady, 
it looked really comfortable. It was unfazed by it. I might start to increase the complexity a little bit, shoot at a little bit of a higher angle, um, maybe move back toward the puppy a little bit, but I'm not going to get in a hurry. Like this is a marathon. So really that first session, if we can just have the dog keep its focus on where the dummy goes and make the retrieve and bring it back, that's great. And I don't care if it's a 20 yard retrieve. The, the beauty of this, I don't really, uh, I don't really have to do much for intro to gun stuff later on because the puppy loved to retrieve already. Now that loud bang is associated with a retrieve and they just, they learn to actually love that sound more than like be fearful or timid of it. Right. But it is really important. Like you do not want to go out, put that puppy on a keto board, stand over top of it and blast off around because you're going to scare them. Most likely you're going to start on the dog it's going to start looking around to figure out where the noise came from while the dummy is like bouncing down the field and you try to send it. It doesn't even know what it's being sent for. Like, uh, trust me, I've seen this and I think I've done it a long time ago, but if you, if you go way out to the front, you know, you could do this if you have somebody that can help you. Like if your dog wants to come to you instead of staying there on the platform while you move 20 yards to the front of it, you could have somebody else go 20 yards in front or 30 or 40 yards with the launcher or you could go out there and have somebody stay with the dog. Obviously, there's more than one way to do this, but just yeah. make sure that you're out to the front, right? Um, so, so the beauty of the launcher, like it's it's really introducing gun noise. It's uh, keeping you know the dogs being reinforced with uh, steadiness because now we've got noise and we've got to retrieve and we still have to be steady. This sounds real similar to a duck blind, right? Um, so. Those are kind of like the peripheral benefits, like the introduction to noise and associating it with a retrieve. But once the once the puppy is comfortable with that, I'm going to start progressively making the retrieves more difficult. And the beauty of the launcher. So if if you only ever throw retrieves for your dog, like you go out with a handful of bumpers and you start chucking them or or tennis balls or whatever you have limitations like i don't care who you are like if you're randy johnson or whoever like you still can only throw it so far right like especially a tennis ball because they're so light they just don't go very far and if that's all your dog ever gets it will start to like become conditioned for that like i've seen so, i've seen so many dogs that i could tell you exactly how far the owner can throw yeah because that's how far they go and then they then they start hunting right there and yeah. if the retrieve is 10 yards farther than that it doesn't even cross their mind the retrieve might be out there because it, it never is that's nothing can go that far right so the launcher gives me the ability to really start to stretch the retrieves out but but more than that it allows me to create different angles and different complexities so angles you know when we start out we shoot really low so it's bouncing along the ground it's exciting it's easy for the dog later later on we're going to go to a 45 degree angle which i think is about the most uh, efficient trajectory or it's going to carry so at a 45 like now we're really stretching that retrieve out but you'll see some dogs will be like well i know how far that launcher can go um and they start to time it as well i think so you hear the blast and they watch and they can hear when it hits the ground as well, typically. And I think they'll they'll figure out like, okay, there's like three seconds of hang time. So that thing must be 70 yards away, right? Um, I don't know that they're actually like realizing they're doing this, but you'll see where they start to like 
how far they go starts to become dependent on how long that dummy is in the air. They start creating so those switch. expectations almost just like, Oh, it should be right around in here. You know, I pulled out the calculator. Yes. This is where it should have landed. Yes. And this is pro- probably only cockers are smart enough to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but I swear it's something like that. So I'll switch it up on them and I will, I'll launch it really high, like not straight up, but it goes way up there. There's tons of hang time. And five seconds later, however, it, I don't think it's five seconds, but it feels like five seconds later, the dummy hits. And it's only 30 yards in front of me, but there was so much hang time, you would swear that it must be 100 yards away, right? And you'd be amazed how many dogs you do that for them. And they head out there, like headed for the 100-yard mark, and they just fly past where it actually came down, right? Which, which is fine, because this is training. I'm not going to get upset about that. It's more like, huh. Look at that. I did create a problem. The dog is starting to time it, right? So by changing that trajectory, I can force the dog to work more on like actually marking where that retrieve came down more than just timing it and saying, well, that was in the air for a long time. It must be a long ways out there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So so I can change the trajectory in the air to make it more complex or less complex for them. And then I can also start creating angles. So like if you think about – when you're upland hunting, like let's say a pheasant gets up right on the nose of the dog and it flies, but as it flies, it sees something or it realizes it, it's not going the direction it wants to go and it hooks, right? Like how many times we see that happen all the time with pheasants, yeah. not yep. so much with grouse because there's woods, right? But with pheasants, you definitely see that. Like they don't fly in a straight line all the time. Sometimes they do, but not all the time. Right. So if that dog just watches that pheasant go straight and uh, you send it for the retrieve and it just takes that straight line. Well, if the pheasant hooked to the side, we're not going to, we're not going to make that retrieve. Right. So I can't make this dummy hook so much. Like, I guess if you go out on a really windy day and you use a canvas dummy it, and you shoot across the wind, it's going to bend it a little bit, but it's a lot easier for me to just walk to the side of the dog. So let's say I go 20 yards to the side and I shoot at a, a weird angle. Maybe I shoot at like 10 o'clock. So now the dog kind of has like a crossing retrieve. The dog isn't going to be able to just follow the line of the dummy and go in that line. Yeah. It's going to have to take its own line and intersect with the line that that dummy took. And it's going to it, it's going to force the dog to be a better marker instead of just running in a straight line. Yeah. So so I I can do that and then I can make the retrieves longer by going out farther in front of the dog. So I might you know, sometimes I might be 40 yards out in front of the dog and I'm shooting the, the launcher away from the dog. So you know, maybe we're getting a, a well over 100 yard retrieve. And I, I like those because the dog's kind of out there on his own. I, I launch it. The dog has to run past me and then keep going for another 70 or 80 yards. That, that's good for problem solving. It's a, you know, it, it builds confidence to have the dog just go right on by, by me like they don't exist and go out there and make the retrieve. Uh, and then I may flip that around sometimes and have the dog sitting 20 yards in front of me and then launch the dummy over top of the dog. So now the dog has to turn, watch it come on the other side. So it's looking directly away from me. Still has to be steady. So that's good for steadiness training. It's good for confidence because no human in the sight picture. I'm just kind of out here on my own. There's the retrieve. Boom. I get sent for it. I go and make the retrieve. Um, but 
the the big thing is I, I think these launchers get a little bit of a bad rep because people just go out and they stand next to the dog and they launch and retrieve 50 yards. Yeah. And the dog goes out and makes the retrieve and they're like, okay, like big whoop, right? That's all that they think that that's but, all it can do is just that one retrieve correct. over and over again. And it's like, no, you're failing to recognize that you you have the capability of making this look however you want. You may not be able to put any English on it and do a curveball, so to speak, but just by you repositioning where you're at and you getting away from your dog and creating that distance, you can, to your point, train a lot of different elements that we value uh, within these gun dogs. Yep, exactly. Like, uh, I, I don't have, like, any, like, one way that I do it necessarily, I go out, got the launcher, I got a pocket full of dummies and we just like start trying to create retrieves that we think the dog can make, but that are going to challenge the dog. So transitions, you know, like launching a dummy over a creep or the best example, my, one of my original cockers, Rocky was his name. That dog was a phenomenal retriever. And at, and we started doing, I started doing dummy. I say we, but my daughter was like little, so she wasn't out there at the time. But that dog, probably at six months old, I started doing dummy launcher work with it. And by the time it was like 10 months old, there was a, there was a lake close to my house. And there was a little island that was about 65 or 70 yards out. And there was a few trees that were on it and some heavy green grass. And I'd go down there. This dog was like 10 months old. I'd go down there with one of the PVC torpedo dummies. And I figured out if I launched it at like just the right angle, I could land it on that island, like ten <laughs> yards up into the grass. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that dog it was it was awesome. Like I kind of I would show him off to people. I come down and hey, watch this, and he launched the dummy out there. And, like it's it's like a twenty five dollar dummy, and if he doesn't find it, it ain't coming back. I don't have <laughs> I'm not going to get it <laughs> to send out there. It was totally like yeah, I'm not that cocky anymore, probably. But uh. But man, that dog figured, I mean, he'd swim all the way out there. He'd climb up on the shore. He'd go up in the grass and look around and find it and bring it back. And I mean, later on in life, that dog made some incredible retrieves on, on wild game because he learned how to be a problem solver with the dummy launcher. Cause I was always giving him something different, you know, launching it over trees. Like I don't have many uh, trees at the place that I, that I have now. It's, it's mostly just farm field around me. So I might use the house and stand on one side of the house and launch a dummy over the house. And the dog has to figure out how to go around and then locate the dummy, which that's, that's a challenge or like, or use the barn or I I use my driveway. Uh, I might use vehicles just to create obstacles that the dog has to go through. Um, The, I'm kind of just going to like throw out some like random little tricks maybe that I do. Uh, one thing that I'll do is I'll have the dog, this is with an older dog. So don't go out there with a, with a 10 month old puppy and like, yeah, let's see if it'll do this. Like we, we always work up to things because progress is always faster if we're working from a place of winning. So if, if we lose, meaning like we fail to retrieve in this case, there's not much learning that happens from losing from failure. There's a lot more learning that happens from success. So we always start out with something we think the dog can do and then we make it progressively harder. So we hopefully just keep winning as we go. But at the end, we're doing things that are much more complex. But one of the things that I'll do with a dog that's more advanced, I'll take them out in the field and I'll find like a really heavy clump of switchgrass 
or maybe a big bush or something like that that's really going to obstruct the dog, the dog's vision. And I'll, I'll have that dog sit like right up against that obstacle. So all it can see is like up at like, uh, it, I don't even know what angle it would be, but like it can't see very far forward at all. It can mostly only see upwards, right? And I'll go out in front of it and I'll launch the dummy in such a way that I know the dog can see like the very initial like launch of that dummy. But after that, it can't see it at all. So it turns it into a complete blind fall. So it's up against that bush. We'll say it's a bush. I launch it. I send it. Now that dog has to be an incredible problem solver. It's not just marking a spot. He just knows the general direction and he has to go out and find it. I I found for field trials that was really helpful because sometimes you're trialing a really heavy cover, you're trialing in the woods, and the dog doesn't always see the bird at all, or sometimes it just sees it a little bit. So it's good that they're listening like for the fall of that bird. Uh, you know, as, as humans, like we think only of the visual aspect, like if they can see it or if they can't see it. But dogs have really good hearing, especially if we haven't blown it out with a dummy launcher. So they're listening just as much as they're looking, and they most of the time if you pay attention as a human, like you can hear when the bird hits the ground, there's a thump, yeah. especially if the bird has got any kind of altitude. Right. And dogs can definitely mark off of, off of sound, like where it hit. So they're up against that bush. I launched the dummy. They're sitting there waiting. Thump. You might hear it fall. We're going to send them for the retrieve. It's a really difficult retrieve for them, obviously, like depending on where the dummy fell, but it's, it's good for problem solving. They can't just go to a spot. I've got to go figure out. Um, and, and what you'll see is the good dogs and, and maybe even like not the good dogs, but any dog with experience will learn to start to hold an area better and also how to use the wind better. So you'll see um, with, with the good dogs, what they'll do, they go to where they think the dummy should be. And if the dummy's there, they pick it up and they bring it back and it looks great. If it's not there, you'll see them start to make circles. And I like to see them making circles that takes the wind into account. So if it's a, if it was a downwind walk, I want that dog to go to where it thought the bird was and then start taking circles or hooks downwind of that spot. So it's going to finally get downwind of where the dummy is and find it. If it's, if it was into the wind, the dog goes to the spot where it's at, where it thinks the dummy should be. Usually you'll see that dog start to make circles, but they start coming in closer to you because they're trying to get that wind in their favor. Right. Yeah. And then if it's not there, then they'll take a bigger bite. But, but the more you do this, the more you'll see them start to be really logical about how they search. So they go to their spot. They think it should be, they make a circle from there. They might work back closer to you. They don't find it. Okay. I'm going to go take a bigger cast and start working away. Cause it wasn't closer. Um, and, I, to me, that's really cool to see, like the dog out there being independent and and using like almost like process of elimination to figure out where that dummy is. Other dogs are really going to struggle with that, where they just kind of lose their mind and like it's not here. I don't know what to do, and they just start running or they come. Well, back in. not not just dogs lose their yeah. mind, but handlers as well. How many times have we been in the field with a handler to where it's like if you can't direct that dog exactly where it's on, and there's no hunt 'em up command or anything like that. The handlers are yeah. sitting there. You can just see them get uneasy. I mean, it's just their tension is building, and they don't know what to do because they have zero control over that situation. Yeah, that's that's true. So my rule of thumb with these are uh, – somebody told me this a long time ago. Like, let your marks be bar- marks and let your blinds be blinds. So meaning if this is a mark, 
meaning the dog saw it, then let the dog figure it out. I don't want to get involved and start directing and handling that dog, except on rare occasions. But for the most part, if if you saw it, you go find it. I shouldn't have to help you because we both saw it. You know, this, you know it's this out one's there. Go get you, it. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's right. If if we start handling them on those, we end up with the dog that's really dependent on us. Like they'll go out and they'll look, they'll look for a little bit. Hey, can't find it, boss. Can you let me know where it's at? And yeah. I don't I don't want that because sometimes, you know, if I'm using the dummy launcher, I probably know where it's at or at least the general area. But if but you're hunting, you don't know. I don't always know. That's for sure. Like maybe I had an obstruction and couldn't see where the bird came down. Yeah. So, or, or maybe I'm not in a position to handle that dog anyway, because I can't see the dog because the cover's too tall. So if I've got a dog that has no confidence in its marking and it thinks it needs to be helped on everything, I'm eventually going to run into problems. Yeah. Um, when, when I used to trial, like that was a, a big deal like you didn't want to get involved handling dogs that should be making a mark because that really it doesn't look good right but uh, aside from trials like just from hunting like i don't want a dog that just gives up and comes and asks for help and we condition them to ask for help if we offer help yeah especially if we offer it too frequently so and, let, and your, on let the, your marks be, on the pointing dog side of things you literally just described all the benefits or the pros as to why we we do the duck search at the utility level in, in NAVDA, right? Is you want that dog that can, just because you shoot a gun and you send it, you're saying, hey, there's game out there, go find it independently without me. And it's it's important to develop that nose to where you're not always gonna be able to put the dog on a dime. And then say you cripple that duck and it lands out there wherever, you may have sent them exactly where that duck landed, but if it dove on you, you have no idea. And then how many times are you hunting in cattail sloughs? How many times are you hunting in, in flooded timber to where the dog can't even see you to get a handle? So it, it is yeah. important to still develop both. You, you want a dog that can handle to at least a certain degree, but you also need that dog to be able to use its nose because we don't have that nose. That's why we have the dog. That's right. So if I'm letting my mark be marked, it doesn't mean I don't do blind retrieves. I just make them independent of right. each other. So makes sense. So this session, we're working on blinds. You didn't see the bird. You just got to trust me. But this session, we're working on Mark. You did see the bird. You got to go figure it out on your own. And then down the road, like if we're out on a Mark in a trial or, in, or while we're hunting and the dog needs help, well, it knows how to take help because we did that on with blinds, right? So it's not like uh, it can't do that. It's just not going to be out there expecting it, if that yeah. makes sense. And, and I'll also do other stuff. Like I, I don't ever want a dog to become so independent that it just doesn't hear me or it's not completely doing its own thing. So I might do there's Well, there's two things I'll do. One, I might give them a, a fairly easy retrieve with a launcher, send them and then stop them when they're like 20 yards away. And I'm not going to handle them from there. I'm just stopping them to make sure that they're still listening to me. So toot, a toot on the whistle, they put their butt down. I might call them back into me, send them again and let them go make the retrieve. Or I might just cast them off from where they're at. I'm not handling them. I'm just making sure they're working with me. The other thing that I will do is if I have multiple dogs, which obviously not everybody can do this, but I like to go out, not with, not with young dogs, like they get introduced independently, but with older dogs that, that know the drill and they're really comfortable with the dummy launcher and they're good at it. I might take 
back, back in the day when I had more dogs, I might take seven or eight dogs out there and have them all sitting there, launch a retrieve, send a dog. And if it doesn't nail the retrieve, like if it screws it up in any way, I just call it back in, toot, toot, toot. It comes back in, I send the next dog. Yep. If it fails to retrieve, call it back in. I don't give them much time. Just go out there, give me your best shot. Nope, that wasn't it. You come back in, then we send the next dog. And, you know, I've had a couple. Cato is the best I ever had. Like, he could sit there and watch five dogs fail, like an almost impossible retrieve that was like, over cottonwoods, over a creek, over a berm, through like <laughs> like ten different transitions, right? Like, right. like if I had to go find it, there's no way I'm gonna find it because he was just like gone into the abyss of all this nasty cover, right? And he could sit there and watch five dogs fail that retrieve, and then just Cato and out, and here he comes back like thirty seconds later, right? So some some of them are really really good at that, but what I found is. I'm accomplishing two things. Like if they go out and screw up and I call them in one, I'm proving to myself and to them that they'll listen to me while they're on a retrieve. Right. But then dogs are competitive as well. And I know that like for my dogs in particular, they don't like to share work. And if I get them sent on a retrieve, if I send them on a retrieve and they fail and I call them back in and then another dog goes and makes that retrieve, I, I might, I probably because I'm a bit of a jerk, but the dog that makes the retrieve, I might give them a little extra praise and like make just a little bit more yeah. reveal about it than I could just to just kind of spite the dog that failed. <laughs> uh, only because I love them and I want them to do better, though, right? Like yeah. the next time, like, hey, I'm just quit screwing I'm, gl- I'm, I'm like, glad I'm not it. the only one to do it because I do that with my own dogs and I'm like you I'm like you know this might be a you know an a-hole move here in front of them <laughs> yeah. but, but I think the same exact thing and I, you know I'm not I'm not super retriever heavy uh, on what I do but I yeah. you know with the versatile dogs I do some retrieves but to your point they're so competitive that you know this is another trick that that I'm using with my current puppy the English setter pup that we've talked about to just get her retrieve drive outside cuz inside she has yeah. all the retrieve drive you could want she just brings me stuff all day long then you go outside okay. she crosses that crosses that threshold and she has one thing on her brain and that's to go find birds it's i mean yeah. it's what she's bred to do well, to get her to actually do a retrieve, I use the other dogs pretty much exactly how you just described it. And then guess who cares about a retrieve all of a sudden? She does. Yeah. And then same yep. thing, Lucy and Rachel, they have this little competitive streak to where if, if one fails on a retrieve, I send the other. And you, you can see in their eyes for Burn the one them. that fell. Oh, man. They, it's like they drive even harder on the next rep. They're like, I'm getting it on the next one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I will say, like, I'm not such a jerk that, like, I let another dog. Uh, the Brits would call it eye-wiping. Have you heard that expression? I haven't heard that one. Yeah, so the, it's, like, in field trials over there, it's, like, it's part of their their uh, their verbiage. But an eye-wipe is when you go out on a retrieve, you fail the retrieve, and then the judge on the other side of the course might bring the other dog over and send that dog out. And if it goes out and makes the retrieve, then the dog that failed the retreat is out of the trial. Mm. I think if it fails, we don't do that in us trials, but over there, I, the eye wipe is a really common thing. Um, I'm not such a jerk that like we do an eye wipe and then the other dog doesn't get a chance to do it. Right. Like I don't just kick them out and say, you're done. Yeah. Like I'm going to give them that. Re- I might give them the exact same retrieve. 
so that they can go out and prove that they can do it. It also gets easier the second time because the first dog laid a scent trail out to it and back. I get that, but I don't care. I just want them to, I want them to be successful. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, but you know, you know we build that up and then you give them an outlet. So we, we might take away that retrieve by letting another dog do it, but I'm going to give them a chance to do it the right way. And at, at the end of the day, I never end a session with a failed retrieve and I, try to never end the session with struggling on a retrieve. Uh, like, like let's say I send a dog out on a really big retrieve and it misses the mark and it has to hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt. And it finally makes that retrieve and brings it back. I don't want that to be my last one. Cause I just, I don't think that's a good one to like go to bed on. Like, yeah. I don't think that's the one I want them thinking about while they're in their you know, in the run or in the house or wherever. I want to, I want you to elaborate a little on that because I would say a challenge for a lot of people, myself included, you know, I get myself into this pickle all the time, the greedy trainer, right? You know, they nail it. You don't quit when you should quit. And then all of a sudden you're not hitting it afterwards. So what happens if you paint yourself into that corner to where I need to end on this good note? They did it right, but because I'm greedy, I went for another rep. They fail or yeah. they're struggling, and then you're in this just this never-ending circle of the dog struggling and not getting that success, and you you can't find your way out of the scenario. How you know? Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, you can always you can always make an easier retreat. Like you can you can always go back to a like I do this this <laughs> all the time actually. Maybe I'm out there with the PVC dummy and I'm launching absolute bombs. Um, I don't know what the kids call like home runs these days, but like just dingers, right? Yeah, like, dongs. Man, yeah. that thing went, it's, it's gone. Um, and, it, and maybe maybe we have a tough session because it was just a little too much for that dog. I might put a canvas dummy on at the end and I might shoot it five feet off the ground. So it, le- it hits the ground and bounces, which we should go back to that, but it bounces a couple times and like, leaves a scent trail and it's right there and the dog can just go out and nail it and bring it back. I'm like, that's good enough. Let's, let's end right there. Uh, you know, we struggle a little bit on the big ones and we pushed a little bit too hard, but I don't want to, I don't want to take their confidence away and then put them away on that. Like that's not mentally, that's not a good thing for a dog. Like I want a dog that's like, yeah, I can do this and I'm good at this. I'm like, let's, I want them excited about it. Like failure doesn't build confidence. Failure typically doesn't really build uh, excitement. Like failure just kind of sucks, frankly, right? Yeah. But sometimes we need it. Like some, we got to toe that line to make things harder. But we, we don't want to stay on that line all the time because you're going to erode confidence. So you still want to set them up session. for success. Totally. So let's like let's give them, and they don't necessarily dogs aren't rocket scientists. Like if I give them a low trajectory on pretty light cover. They don't know that I just like gave them a freebie. Like they just think I launched another retrieve and they nailed that one. And that was awesome. Right. But it's not like, uh, Oh, you're taking it, you know, like as an, as a human, like it's like playing ping pong with my kids. They're obsessed with this right now. <laughs> the boys are, and they think they're so like, they think they're great at it. Like little, like they didn't realize this, but their dad used to not have a life and played an awful lot of ping pong in yeah. the day. And, and was quite good at ping pong, like one, one tournament and everything. And, uh, they play with me and they're like, they think they're, I don't, they've never beat me and, th- and they may never beat me and I'm not going to let them beat me, 
But I may, I may take it easier. You let them get right? close. Like, yeah. Taste it just a little well, bit. Well, not even close. <laughs> a little scores at the point. But like the one, so I'm left-handed. And the one, my older boy, I was playing him right-handed. I was still kicking his butt, but he didn't know. And uh, uh, they've watched the movie Princess Bride. You know, so I'm like, I'm like, you know why I'm smiling like this? You know? He's like, what? <laughs> And then, like, he thinks about it, and he's like, oh, you're playing with your right hand, Dad. And, like, to him, that made, like, that made him mad at me, right? Because... But it also like, fueled the he, fire, too, I bet. Kind of, but he thought he was doing better, and then it turned out he wasn't doing better. I just handicapped myself, right? Right. And I was like, well, fine. Like, well, force me to play left-handed. Right now, there's no reason to play left-handed, because you can't even beat me right-handed. Right? Yeah. Like, that's what I told him. So, for a kid, that can be frustrating. Like, he was, he was frustrated at me. If I go out and like give the dog an easy retrieve, they're not like, like he's just he's just babying me right now, or he's like demeaning me. Unless they don't think that at all. Unless they're cockers, right? Because we already established earlier they can do calculus and and physics and all that (laughs) stuff, right? (laughs) That's yeah, but they they're still a sucker for the 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 chasing the (laughs) rabbit bouncing all over the place is is gonna. exceed the the mathematical skills in that scenario yeah exactly so okay so let me jump back on that one a little bit so yeah um the one thing when like if i throw a a dummy it lands and maybe it bounces one bounce like and it's like two feet from where it hit the ground right but it's it's not enough separation to factor into the retrieve at all so the dog if it finds where the dummy fell it's also going to smell the dummy typically if i take a canvas dummy and I launch it into a low cover, like maybe a cut hayfield. So there's like just enough cover that when it comes to a rest, you can't see it. Um, but not enough cover to really slow it down. It's going to bounce for a little ways and then it's going to stop. When the dog gets to the fall, it's going to smell like, like you'll see this. The dog will get right to where the dummy hit the ground. And they're like, well, where's the dummy? It's supposed to be right here. I can yeah. smell it. And especially with young dogs that can be really confusing and they'll hold that area and just keep looking like this. I smell it here. I smell it here. I smell it here. Eventually you'll, most of them will figure out like, well, it's not here. I better look somewhere else. Um, if I take this PVC, uh, launch or dummy out there, this thing, if I launch this onto low ground, like that first bounce is going to carry like 15 yards probably. And then it's going to hit and keep bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. That's a super great skill for a dog to learn. Like just because I found where the bird hit the ground doesn't mean that the bird is here. It might have left the area. Where is the scent taking me to? Right. So I'd like to do stuff like that. Not, not all the time, right? Like it's always about variety, but one of the things I will do is launch a dummy low so that I intentionally get that bounce in, in cover. So the dog has to sort out like, well, here's smell, but there's no dummy. Where could it be? Sometimes that bounce is so big that there's not a scent trail for the dog to follow. That doesn't really bother me. Like, okay, be smart. Start making casts and figure out where it went to, but don't just give up on it and don't just hold that area. Just because you smell it doesn't mean it's necessarily there, right? So I, I think that's a like that's a good skill for them to learn. It's another yeah. way that I use them. Um, and the, I, the other I've, thing I've I would, seen crippled oh. pheasants do that, you know, crippled, yeah, I mean, heck, even on the NABDA pheasant track at the puppy level, the NA test, they'll pull the flight feathers on one wing and then, you know, simulate a winged pheasant and all of a sudden it'll jump 10, 15 yards off, kind of halfway glide off a little bit and then keep going. 
that that's just the best way to simulate that kind of scenario yep. almost. Yep. And end of the day, I just want a problem solver. Like when you go out on a mark, figure it out. <laughs> like whatever you got to do, figure it out. Don't come back to me until you have that bird, right? Or yeah. until I call you. Um, but we but we do that by like making it progressively more complex. The one thing I'm going to throw out there is you do have to be a little bit careful. Like if I have a dog that maybe is too sticky, it hunts too closely, and I want it to start opening up, I'm probably going to give it more and more dummy launcher work because it will open up a dog. But like by opening it up, I mean it will get it to run bigger because they're getting more independence. Like they're out there searching on their own. They're learning to use the wind. They're finding the dummy. Like it's a big confidence booster to them. And they're doing it without me, which is great for a dog that needs to be opened up. But if you have a dog that's already like on the edge and you have some control issues, the the dummy launcher, like you might want to be smart about how you use that because it might create more, more issues. So if you've got a dog that maybe you got some control issues with, it doesn't mean don't use the dummy launcher, but you probably need to be doing more control type drills, like more in close games. Um, to, mm. to offset like what you're doing with the launcher, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it 100 does, and and it it sounds like you you've pretty much hit on all the I guess cons or errors that I could come up with, kind of just throughout all your examples. The main of which being, you know, what you just said, knowing your dog is it going to open it up or close them down. You know. W- you take that, but then also the main one that you've repeated a, a number of times is mix it up, make it a variety. Don't do the same thing over and over and over again, because it doesn't matter if you're throwing it or you're shooting it. If you do the same exact route over and over again, that's your dog's just going to get used to going in one direction. And I think that's yep. where this, along with many other tools, even bird launchers included, most people just kind of get pigeonholed into one use for them they don't use their imagination or they don't really consider what the dog is interpreting and then they just do a million reps over and over and over again and then they wonder why their dog doesn't want to swim past 15 yards to pick up a bumper that's right that's right yeah and and just be smart like if the dog can't do it don't do it work up to it go to an open field like the other day i I have a two-year-old springer here right now and he had not had a dummy launcher before. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of work with him for a friend. And I gave him, I think I gave him one retrieve into cover and he like completely screwed it up. So I went to the other side of the property where I have, I just planted switchgrass in there, but it hasn't even germinated yet because we're in a drought. And so it's just bare dirt. And I just, I, I use the wind to my advantage. So that's the other thing to take into consideration. If you launch, if it's windy out and you launch directly into the wind, it's not going to go as far. And if you turn and launch it downwind, it's going to go a long way. So for that dog, I took him out to this dirt field. I put the wind at my back and I shot it at a 45 degree angle. And I, I gave him some bombs out there, but he could see them. And I used, I used a, a, like a brand new white canvas bumper so he could see it out there. And, mm. you know, he's going, he's going hundred or 120 yards out there nailing it and coming back. And he thinks he's, he's all it because he's doing well. Obviously I made it super easy for him, even though he had to run a long ways. Then when we went back to the cover, I didn't give him retrieves that were that far, but I gave him decent retrieves. And because we, because I had conditioned him to go farther on retrieves and to like learn to run for a while before getting to the dummy, 
when I went back into cover and did that, like he had way more confidence. He, he could make the longer retrieves more easily. If I had just stayed there and kept launching hard retrieves into the cover, eventually we, we probably would have got there, but it was much faster to just take a step back, go to a dirt field, go to a brand new white bumper and like, just, just make it easy, stretch your legs, find it. And now we'll go back to the heavy cover. Yeah. No, I mean, makes a whole lot of sense. It's, I mean, in the truest sense, the all, all the way back to the start of this, it's kind of like a redirect. It's not a redirect, but like we're redirecting how we're getting the dog to learn this ourselves, right? The setup matters and stuff like this to where, it, you know, it's just, just use your imagination. That, 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 that's all that matters is like, just if you're bored with it, the dog's going to get bored with it. And then the confidence is going to suffer. And, you know, like you said, you might eventually, anything with high reps eventually maybe the dog figures it out but why take a hundred of them when you know you can probably do it in a handful of them yeah step back get some momentum and hit it with momentum it's easier yeah so where do these the remote launchers fall in you know so far you've been describing yeah. everything that you're shooting close to you is the remote launcher just a way to extend them even further if necessary or are you just trying to establish that degree of so separation between you and gunfire maybe so right now, both of my Thunder launchers are non-functional. <laughs> so we're not doing any of that, unfortunately. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, there may be a little bit of a history here. But uh, when I did use those things, I so for me personally, I used them almost to just condition the dog more. So like if I was getting ready for a national, say, I might put those, I, two, I have two five shooters, and I might put them like 120 yards out in a pasture and just put up on top of a mountain with the dog, launch one, send the dog. It runs out, comes back, send another one. So we get 10 retrieves and it's 125 yards out there for every single retrieve. Yeah. Like, that's a great way to like just build endurance and like, you know, muscle the dog up a little bit. So I'd use them that way for a younger, like they do, they have way more application than that, obviously. And there's, there's going to be people that could speak to them much better than I could, but other ways that I would use them might be for, a younger dog so we uh one the nice thing about them is they have the the electronics on them so the quack 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 or the beep beep i i just use the quack quack the dog starts to learn to look away for a retrieve so not everything's coming from me or from my hands now something's originating out in the field so it's the dog's learning to look away so that's a good thing the other thing is for those launchers like yes you can obviously you can make the retrieves ridiculously long if you want i don't really have a use for that since i have upland dogs if i was training for like maybe the master level for retrievers or for certainly for trials like more distance is, is necessary obviously for my application not necessary but um you you can build confidence really easily so because it's so repetitive like i can launch one dummy I send the dog for it. It finds it eventually, or maybe it doesn't find it and, it and it comes back and I can launch the same retrieve, send the dog again. Um, the repetitiveness, you can use it to your advantage in some instances, right? As the dog gets better at it, like it works against me to be repetitive. But at the start, when I'm trying to build confidence, that repetitiveness is actually helpful. Like, let's just keep doing the same retrieve over and over again until you get good at it. And then we can introduce a different angle. The other thing that those remote launchers can do is create angles that are like impossible to create with, with a handheld launcher. So yeah. maybe we, 
maybe we have the launcher 150 yards out and it's actually launching the dummy straight toward the dog and it's still dropping 100 yards away. But that's a weird angle, right? When everything is going away and then all of a sudden this is coming at you, that's, I mean, that'll, that'll screw with your depth perception for sure. So you can create, you can definitely create different angles with those remote launchers. I just, I find that even when my remote launchers are working, I still use the handheld launcher probably 95% of the time because yeah. it's, it's easy. Like the, the remote launchers, you got to set them up and you got to make sure your electronics are charged up. And you know, do you have, if you're using the thunder launchers, you got to have your Mac gas with you. And like, it just, it's kind of a pain, but to be honest, and like for my style of training, more like run and gun, the handheld launcher is awesome. Cause I can just grab the launcher, grab a few blanks, throw them in my pocket Make sure I've got my earplugs. Make sure I, I do always wear safety glasses as well. I got a whistle around my neck, and we can go out and go for a walk and just start creating difficult retrieves or whatever complexity of retrieve we want. So that I mean, I they do definitely both have their place for an upland dog. Uh, the handheld launcher is a great tool. Yeah, no, makes what? too much sense, man. It we've kind of covered it all from tips or your suggestions on your end on how to actually I got, use it. I've got one more. I was about to say, what are we missing? <laughs> this is the life changer right here. Okay. So these things are a pain in the butt. I'm going to use the, the video portion here again. You crack this thing after, after you fire off a shot, I think because, and maybe it's because I buy these cheap blanks at the hardware store, but all that pressure causes the brass to expand and those things get stuck. The, the spent, shells get stuck inside of there yeah and it's got like a little ejector on there that pops it up a little bit but like i i mangle fingernails trying to pry those things out of there complete like it's, it's unbelievably frustrating sometimes so if i have my whistle around my neck which i make sure i always do one because i if i need to call the dog in i want to have the whistle but honestly like more importantly i grab that whistle and the little the little ring that's on the whistle i just hook that on the cement shell and I pop it out with that. I got you. Yeah. It's the dumbest thing, but I'm telling you like it's the handiest thing. So yeah. make sure you have your whistle so you can get the spent, spent cartridges out. Yep. No, I've, I've run into that issue. You know, I haven't used too many dummy launchers, but they, they show up on occasion and, and we use them and, yeah, they're always getting jammed up. I've always, I think I've always just taken my pocket knife out and just, you know, kind of pried it yeah. open. But and yeah, that's a pain because it is the whistle just right there. Yeah, well, just pop it out. That's a good tip. I'll I'll be sure to to <laughs> use that one. But you know, so we've gone all covered a lot of tips. We've covered a lot of what not to do or common errors that that we've observed. Is there anything else that you know? we are missing on this conversation because to your point, like it's a valuable tool. As I just said, I don't use it very often. So I, I know that other people, especially DIY trainers probably aren't using these tools uh, nearly enough or at least to the extent that they could be using them. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think like a lot of things I, you know, if you came and spend a day with me, which maybe that'll happen this <laughs> fall, um, yeah. you'd probably be like, Oh yeah, talk about this one thing you did. Like I didn't even know that I was doing that, but I guess you're right. I do that every time. You know, so I'm trying to rack my brain right now. Like, is there any like glaring thing that I'm missing? Um, you know, we already talked about it, but I do make sure I don't ever hold that that launcher like right by the dog's head. I'll I'll yeah. at least step in front. Even with an older dog, I'll step in front by six or seven feet because I don't gain anything by having it close to their head. And 
I, I mean, dogs do go deaf, but it doesn't always happen, but they do go deaf. So, and we, you know, we, we do have science that tells us why deafness happens for many reasons, but loud noises can definitely expedite that. Oh, so yeah. if I can avoid that, you know, so I'm always out in front of the dog or on to the side of it. Um, oh, the, the one other thing that this, this is starting to sound like an infomercial for launchers. I, I wish I was getting royalties off them, but I will often just use them as a starter pistol as well. So, I mean, I have a, I have an alpha starter pistol. It's obviously pretty sweet, but it's, I don't use it that often. And when I need it, like I don't have it on me and half the time I can't find it or whatever. So I will often use my, my handheld launcher as a starter pistol, especially if I only need one shot. It's really loud. If you, if you just put a blank in here and shoot it without, without a dummy on it, it's, it's still really, really loud. Um, so if I want to work on like sitting to the shot, I might you know go out in the field with a, with a dummy, walk the dog, fire a shot off with the launcher when the dog sits throw a retrieve for it, something like that. So, you know, if you are trying to justify buying one of these things and you're not sure the retrieving is enough, like if you don't have a starter pistol, like it definitely can double as one. Yeah. No, I mean, too easy. So, you know, you talked about the introduction at the very start of this. Can, would you say that this is a strong enough tool to do gun, gun introduction with a dog, maybe somebody doesn't have access to birds or something later on to do it. You know how we all all talk about associating birds. Yeah. Would you say that this is loud enough, uh, associating enough to to birds or chasing or something like that to be a, a proper gun intro for the average dog? Okay, so I would say it definitely isn't going to hurt if you do it right. Like I think for most dogs, like this is probably sufficient. Um, for people, you know, for for somebody who hasn't read a lot of dogs or owned a lot of dogs, you're always going to be better off playing it safe. Yeah. So I do, I do not want somebody being like, "Well, Jordan said on that podcast that because <laughs> I could use a dummy launcher and like, and now all of a sudden I'm responsible for a gun shy dog." Like, I do, I definitely don't want that. But I do think if you introduce them to the launcher the correct way, like how I described, go, if you go back and proof it with gunfire, so. Uh, I'm sure you've covered that in a lot of different episodes because it's something that a lot of people care about. Yeah. But personally, how I would introduce gunfire is I would have me and my dog with some birds, uh, like maybe some dead birds from a training day or something like that. And I'm a hundred yards away and I've got somebody firing the shot. I, you know, I throw a retrieve and while the bird is in the air, actually at the start, I throw a bird, I send the dog for it and the dog is almost to the bird. I have somebody fire a shot like a hundred yards away. And ideally that dog, all it can see and smell and think about is that bird. And the shot in the background is like completely inconsequential. Right. And then we just build up from there to, you know, hopefully if things are going well, within a few shots, we throw the bird, we fire a shot while the bird's in the air. And then we send the dog for it. And the gun progressively works closer to the dog and with, with, with no uh, concern from the dog. I would still go through that, especially like if I wasn't completely comfortable with my dog, I would still go through that process. I do think the launcher is like going to make that process a lot faster for pretty much every dog. It should make it a lot easier uh, because it's already learned to associate noise with, with a reward. I, you know, the more we talk about this more, I think, you know, I should say there are certain dogs, like if your dog doesn't have really high retrieve drive and it's kind of a skittish dog, which 
I feel like we probably see more skittish dogs now than we used to. The same by we, I mean, like just just in, in general, general, the industry yeah. is. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of reasons for that. I think our culture drives it. I think genetics drive it a little bit. I think our culture really drives that. Hundred percent. If I have a dog, if I have a dog that has low retrieve drive and it's a little bit skittish. I'm going to be really, really careful with the launcher, how I introduce it. Because even if I go out there 20 yards in front of it and I like, if the dog doesn't really love to retrieve, it might just decide that it doesn't like the loud noise and the retrieve isn't enough to like help it overcome that. Um, yeah. So you, you do want to be smart about that. I think that's like a whole nother conversation. And um, a, a dog like that is definitely a challenge and probably not going to solve that issue here. There are little things you can do like, you might go out and use, I don't really ever do it, although I have in the past, uh, use the green blanks. The green blanks aren't nearly as loud. The dummy might only go 20 feet in front of you, but hopefully there's a little bit of a noise. Poop, you know, and <laughs> there's the dummy right in front of you. Um, maybe that's the bridge that you need in order to work up to a yellow blank. You also could make sure that the wind is at your back. So when you shoot it, the wind is carrying the noise away from the dog instead of blowing it right into the dog. So there's, you could kind of muffle it a little bit. Um, yeah. So just like, I mean, these podcasts, I don't care who you bring on here, like how good they are. Some of them are great. Obviously you're not going to solve every issue for every dog. Um, no. having conversations like this, all, all we can do is like throw ideas out there and like give listeners something to think about and, Hopefully there's a few things with enough meat on them for that particular dog. Like you, you, you hope that everybody's like, Hey, uh, yeah, that's not going to work for my dog. That's not going to work. But that one thing right there, like, yeah, that described my dog perfectly. And I'm going to go try something. Right. And so if anybody out there is listening, is like, man, my dog is really skittish. I'm going to go launch a dummy for it. Like, don't, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Like be smarter than that. Just because we talked about it on the podcast doesn't mean, it's for every dog. Exactly, um, man. It, you know, be, be a dog trainer at the end of the day. Exactly. You know that that's the disclaimer that we're we're gonna end on because you know at the end of the day we can sit here and talk about this. This is very general speaking, talking about the average dog with the average handler. But it's up to you as the handler to know your dog, know your capabilities. And, and just be smart about it. You know, it, it's uh, be the advocate for your dog and, and don't put it in a situation where it could potentially fail. But Jordan, man, the, yeah, this, this was a lot of fun. It's always fun catching up with you and, and talking dogs. You know, I know that we'll circle back and do another topic here soon. And just like you said, maybe we'll have to link up in person uh, this fall at some point. Yeah, both those ideas sound great. Yeah, too easy. Thanks, Nick. Yep. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jordan Horat, kind of breaking down everything and all the tips and tricks and uh, just thought processes on dummy launchers in general. This episode was presented by Standing Some Supply, DT Systems, Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, as well as Upland Gun Company. It just goes to show that, you know, that this is a tool that you see in a lot of people's uh, tool belt, so to speak, or, or bucket. And you know, you don't see a whole lot of people that, you know, diversify or provide a lot of variety with how they use this tool. And it's just a good example of something to where a lot of people might get with the anticipation of using it just one certain way, or maybe they're only familiar with one certain way. 
But uh, it just goes to show that once you kind of understand it and you get creative and, and you kind of really break out and you start applying different drills or setups, uh, uh, how a tool such as the dummy launcher can really help you guys take the next step with your dog. And, and at the very least, just add a little bit of variety, a little bit of fun to the training. And you're not just doing the same thing over and over again, uh, which a lot of people just kind of fall in that trap of just throwing uh, the, the bumper from the side and then, you know, conversely, even just getting the launcher, just launching it by the side of the dog over and over and over again, you're not going to get too much out of it by doing it the same way. But implementing some of the advice and suggestions that Jordan uh, put put out throughout the episode might help create a little bit of variety and spice into your uh, training program, if you will. And uh, after I recorded this with Jordan, I was actually catching up with my buddy Ethan at uh, Standing Stone Supply, and I mentioned to him that we we're doing this episode, and he offered up the opportunity to do a discount code on his website, standingstonesupply.com, for the DT Super Pro launcher. So if you're interested in buying a launcher after listening to this, or maybe you just need another one or, or a replacement, whatever, uh, go to Standing Stone Supply and use code GDIY launch. It's good through the end of uh, July through the rest of this month. And so that'll save you 15% on the launcher. So that's, uh, you know, appreciate Ethan for offering that up to all the listeners out there. And that gives you an opportunity to kind of get started if you will. And, uh, yeah, so if you enjoyed this episode, if you this is your first time maybe checking out GDIY or Gundog it yourself, um, you know, check us out on YouTube. This episode is actually airing on YouTube. This is our first uh, podcast to put up on YouTube, and for those listening on the the normal. Uh, uh, podcast outlets or platforms, just know that this is on YouTube along with a few uh, cutscenes or clips, if you will, of Jordan actually showing or demonstrating some of the drills or setups that he referenced or discussed within the episode. And then those people that are listening to us on YouTube or just found us through YouTube, just so that you're aware. Uh, we have almost, you know, 200 regular episodes as well as a bunch of different bonus episodes throughout almost four years of doing this on all the other podcast streaming platforms. Just search Gundog It Yourself and you'll find us. Uh, you know, you can do that on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, what have you. And then uh, if you really enjoy the content and you're finding value and you're, you're gaining something from listening to, to my guests that I have on every single week, please consider joining Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself. There's plenty of extra bonus content up there, as well as we're doing starting to do a few giveaways, such as uh, we're going to be doing some giveaway elite uh, memberships to Onyx. And uh, we just announced the last month's winner, the June winners. Uh, that is Steve Billimac, as well as Holden Baker. So if you want to join, support the podcast, we can't do this show without the support of Patreon, as well as any of your name into the hat for some giveaways such as onyx then by all means again it's patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself and that about does it for me this week i'm gonna go ahead and hit stop and wrap this up thanks for checking us out and as always thanks for hitting play thank you for listening to gdiy if you enjoy this podcast please remember to take a moment to rate review and share with a friend also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting.
Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.